God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. This is the word of God. offering, we acknowledge that all we have is from you. Help us always to be open with our hearts, gracious with our ways, and cheerful in our giving. In Jesus' name, amen.
That's one of those songs. I'm not rather I'm not sure whether I should say amen or wow. (laughs) That was wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope you feel near to the heart of God today. And I don't see how you can't after a wonderful song like that. Thank you, choir, for for inspiring us with that. There's an an, an inscription that um, is found in many Bibles at the top of Psalm 51 that reads like this. A Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. That's at the top of the Psalm on many of the many of the Bibles in many of the Bibles that we have. And as I read that, I wonder what what a somber introduction that is. To a psalm. It refers, of course, to a sorry episode in the life of Israel's greatest king. And the story goes like this Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, one of King David's most loyal soldiers. And one evening, David got up from his bed and was walking around on the roof of his palace. We don't know what was keeping David up that night. I'm sure that as king, he had many things on his mind. But for whatever reason, David could not sleep. And he was taking in the fresh air. And and that's when David saw Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. And he saw that she was beautiful. And even though he knew that she was a married woman, he sent a messenger to her to invite her to come to the palace. And she came. Well, one thing led to another, as they say, and he slept with her. We have no indication that Bathsheba was an unwilling partner in this relationship, though there was a definite imbalance of power here. I mean, how does one say no to the king? So David was possibly exploiting his position of power. And power certainly has a tendency to do that to people. And our indication is that it was a one-night fling. We are not told of an ongoing affair, though we are not told that it didn't happen either. What we are told is that Bathsheba returned home that night. And sometime later, she sent this chilling message to the king. I'm pregnant. Well, according to the law, both David and Bathsheba could have received the death penalty for their sin. But David was the king. And I don't have to tell you that it's not unusual in any society for there to be two sets of rules, one for the common person and one for the elite. But let me let me remind you that Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah, who was one of David's most loyal soldiers. And this makes their relationship even more loathsome. So, after David received word of Bathsheba's condition, he did what most powerful men in his position would do. He began his scheme to cover it up. The first thing that he did was to to summon Uriah to come to the palace and give a report of what was going on on the battlefield, what was happening at the front lines. And, and after he gave his report, David suggested that Uriah go home for a little R&R. 
He even sent a sent along a, a gift basket of royal food and wine, hoping that that this might put Uriah in the mood, if you will. And obviously what he was hoping for was that Uriah would go home and make love to his wife. And then they could say that the baby was Uriah's. But Uriah was a soldier first and he felt a a loyalty to his troops and and didn't feel right about going home to his wife while his his brothers in arms were fighting on the battlefield. And so instead of going home, he camped out with the other soldiers at the gates of the palace. So much for plan A. Uriah's faithfulness stands in stark contrast to David's unfaithfulness. And it is clear that adultery is a serious transgression even for a king. Well, by now, David is getting pretty desperate to cover up this thing that had happened. He feels the need to to act quickly on this before Bathsheba begins to show. And so he he gets Uriah drunk in the hopes that this will make Uriah forget his duties as a soldier to his men and return to his wife. But Uriah still insists on sleeping in the fields with the soldiers. Plan B, fail. Finally, David does the unthinkable. He writes out an order to his commander, Joab. And the order tells Joab to put Uriah on the front lines of battle and then to suddenly withdraw, leaving Uriah standing out there all by himself by himself to face all of his all of their enemies. And being the obedient soldier that Joab was. He did exactly as he was told. And Uriah was killed. So David disposed of his problem in a terrible way. I'm sure that Uriah was given a a hero's funeral. And then after an acceptable period of mourning, David married Bathsheba. But the writer of 2 Samuel tells us that the Lord was displeased with them. David got what he wanted, but he he never again would would his life be marked by God's peace and, and blessings. Well, that's not the end of the story, because you see, the prophet Nathan came to David and confronted him about what he had done. And he, he was he was a little sly in, in doing this because he knew that it was probably not a wise idea to come to David and say, look what you did. What you did was wrong. I mean, David was the king. And so he kind of came in the back door with by telling David a parable. To convince David of his guilt. Without even knowing it. And here's the parable that he's told David. It was about two men, a wealthy cattle owner and a poor man. He told David that the poor man had only one small lamb to take care of, and it meant all the world to him. It seems to be more like a pet than a, than a farm animal. But the wealthy cattle owner who owned many, many heads of cattle, this man selfishly stole the poor man's lamb and killed it for a feast. Well, when David heard this story, he was infuriated. He was enraged. His sense of justice was riled 
It isn't fair, he said. It isn't right for the wealthy man to to take this poor man's lamb. And he demanded that justice be done for the poor man. And that's when Nathan told David that this story is actually about him. About David himself. God had given David abundant blessings. Power, money, respect, the love of his people. Yet David had abused his power and taken Uriah's wife. And even though Uriah technically died in battle, Nathan makes it very clear that David was guilty of murder. Then Nathan issues this prophecy from God. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house. You will never be at peace because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. Well, to David's credit, he recognizes his sin right away and confesses it. Even though he deserves death according to the law, Nathan informs him that God will not kill him. Instead, the child that Bathsheba carries will die. And I can only imagine that that would be even worse. Like many of us, David would probably have preferred to die himself rather than face the knowledge that his sin resulted in the death of his own child. But then we have this psalm that was written by King David when Nathan came to him after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And in the psalm that he wrote, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, he says, and my sin is always before me. Against you I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge me. Let's give David a little credit here. He, he messed up big time. He messed up. But when he was confronted with it, he was honest. And he confesses his sin. He confesses his sin. He acknowledges his responsibility to God. Against you I have sinned, he said. Against you I have done what is evil in your sight. He confesses his sin. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Which is a good time for all of us to take stock of our lives and to be honest about where we are in our lives. One of the major purposes of observing Lent is to take a good hard look at our lives and to ask ourselves some hard questions. Is there something that I need to confess? Is there something that's hanging over my head that I need to get straight with God? Have I done something wrong? Is there some terrible guilt that is weighing me down? These are questions that we need to be asking ourselves honestly. Some of you will probably remember when Marlon Brando was one of Hollywood's brightest stars. Young Trim, handsome, 
winner of multiple Academy Awards. He had it all. And, and yet when he died eight years ago, many of his friends looked upon him as a pathetic figure. When he died, he weighed far in excess of 400 pounds. He told a friend not long before he died, he said, I'm sorry for all the harm that I've done and, and for all the troubles that I've brought to others in my life. I've, I've never been a very good parent or a very good husband. I've been too busy with my own life to have much time for others. I've run off anyone who could possibly love me. I have very few genuine friends. And now I'm just a guilty old man who is ashamed of the life that I've lived. And there's nothing left for me but eating. How very, very sad. But that's what unresolved guilt can do to people. It's a, it's a terrible burden to, to carry around. And guilt can, can come to us in many forms. This guilt may be for, from something that we have done, as in David's case. Or it may be something that we have said how many of us can, can think of damage that, that we have done to other people, perhaps even people who are close to us, by the words that we have spoken or the actions that we take? Or maybe it's something that we didn't do. You know, guilt is a common feeling when loved ones gather around the grave of a parent or a friend or a sibling or a spouse. I should have treated them better, we think. I should have been more patient, more loving. I should have reached out to them. There are all kinds of things to feel guilty about. Dr. Gregory Knox Jones tells about an experience that he had several years ago when he went to Haiti. He visited a poor village there where the children had bloated stomachs and and had little more to eat than sugar cane. And then while he was there, a small Haitian man who was missing most of his teeth came up to him and said, I heard that in America you actually have diet dog food. This can't be true, can it? This poor man could not imagine, imagine that, that while his children were slowly starving to death, people in America were feeding their pets diet food because their pets were so overweight. This question left Jones speechless. He couldn't tell, them, tell the man that it was true. And he said that the man's words were like a knife piercing his very soul and producing deep feelings of guilt for him. Because he knew that he should be doing more for people who are hungry. You see, guilt can be an expression of, of our sins of commission or our sins of omission. The things that, that we do that are wrong or the things that we should do right but fail to do. And the point is that the only healthy way to deal with our guilt is to acknowledge it before God. And to ask for God's forgiveness. As we begin this season of Lent, this is a good place for us to start. All of us today. With confession. But notice what David does next. He asks God to change his heart. Create in me a pure heart, he says. 
Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Folks, it's one thing to confess your sin and to ask for forgiveness. And that's something that we all need to do. But it is something else entirely to ask God to change your heart so that your sin becomes a thing of the past. How many, of you like, how many of you like peanuts? Not, not the nuts, but the cartoon. How many of you like the cartoon peanuts? Who doesn't like peanuts, the cartoon? I'm sure if you are a follower of peanuts, and, and, and most people have, have read peanuts and seen peanuts throughout your life, and, and, and you know that one of the most famous routines for peanuts, the cartoon, is when Lucy and Charlie Brown are practicing football. You've seen it, haven't you? And you know what I'm talking about already. Lucy would, would hold the ball for, for Charlie Brown to, to practice his place kicking. But every time Lucy had ever held the ball before, Charlie knew what had happened. As he would approach the ball and kick with all of his might... But at the precise moment of no return, Lucy would, would pick up the ball and, and remove it. And Charlie Brown would kick into thin air with all of his might. And since the ball was not there, Charlie would fall flat on his back. You've seen it. Happens all the time. Well, this particular cartoon opened with Lucy holding the ball. But Charlie Brown would not kick it. He wouldn't kick it. Lucy begged him to kick the ball, but Charlie Brown said, No! Every time I try to kick the ball, you move it and I fall flat on my back. So they went back, back and forth for this uh, uh, for the longest time. And, and finally, Lucy broke down in tears. And she confessed, Charlie Brown, I have been so terrible to you over the years. Picking up the football like I have, I've played so many cruel tricks on you, but I've, I've seen the error of my ways. I've seen the hurt look in your eyes when I've deceived you. I've been wrong, so very, very wrong. Won't you please give a poor penitent girl another chance, she said. And so Charlie Brown, being the gracious young man that he is, Moved by her display of grief, said, of course, I'll give you another chance. And so he stepped back. And as she held the ball and, and, and he ran with all of his might to cook, to kick it. And guess what happened? At the last moment, Lucy picked up the ball and Charlie Brown fell flat on his back. I hate it when you give somebody a second chance and they pull the ball away anyway. Yet once again. Lucy's last words were these. Recognizing your faults is one thing, she said. But actually changing your ways is something else, Charlie Brown. And she was right. They are two different things. And King David knew that. So he prayed not only for God to forgive his sins, but that God would also give him a new heart. That's what has happened 
with these three who have been baptized this morning. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, says David. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new spirit, a right spirit, within me. In the waters of baptism today, we have symbolically demonstrated what has, has already taken place in the spirits of those who were baptized this morning. Forgiveness and cleansing. They have recognized their sinfulness before the Lord and they've, they've asked for God's forgiveness. And, and guess what? God's always faithful and, and ready to forgive our sins. Always. And in the waters of baptism, their, their old lives have been buried only to be lifted up to a new life in Christ's love and mercy. And so this day we rejoice with these three who were baptized today. But at the same time, we recognize that we are all, every person in this room, we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we recognize that our prayer should be the same prayer as that of King David and as that of those who were baptized this morning. A prayer of forgiveness. A prayer for a new, pure clean heart. May that be our prayer today as we begin this season of Lent. May God not only forgive us for our sins, but may God also create within us a new heart. And may God renew a right spirit within us and restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Amen. We're going to sing number 307, Just As I Am. And we're going to give you an opportunity today to respond to the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life this morning. There may be someone here today who has never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and you would like to do that this morning. You would like to follow the example of these three this morning who profess their faith in Christ and and have, have come and united with our church and, and followed them into baptism as Christ was baptized. Maybe you've never done that before. And you sense the Holy Spirit urging you to do that today. Maybe you've never said yes to the forgiveness of Christ. Maybe you've got that heavy load of, of guilt and that burden of, of, of despair hanging on your shoulders. I want to tell you something today, folks. God can take that away. Just the, the knowledge that we are forgiven to, can take that away. So if that describes you today, I hope you'll make that commitment to Christ this morning. That you'll say yes to the forgiveness that He offers because He's always willing to offer. All we have to do is confess our sins and ask for forgiveness and ask God to create that new heart in us. 
Maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with our church today as we seek to be God's people in this place. Maybe you just need a time of prayer, a time of getting things straight. We'll pray with you or let you pray by yourself. If God is dealing in your heart in any way this morning, we invite you to come as we sing just as I am. Would you come? Thank you for your presence with us today. Just a few announcements I'd like to bring to your attention. First of all, as I mentioned before, this is, this, uh, this is the first Sunday of Lent. And as is the practice of, um, of our, our worship community, our, our community faith here in, in uh, Henderson, um, we have Lenten lunches that, we, that take place each Wednesday. And uh, we kind of bounce them around from church to church. And the first one will be this Wednesday at First Christian Church. And so I hope that you can come and be a part of this. It's a wonderful opportunity to, to join with the faith community of the different churches here in Henderson and to share a time of fellowship and a time of worship as we journey through Lent together, um, focusing on, on the journey towards the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So I invite you to come uh, Wednesday at uh, First Christian Church. It'll start at 12 o'clock, and there will be a brief worship service, about 25 to 30 minutes, and then we'll have lunch afterwards. And uh, so we invite you to come and be a part of that. And then it'll, it'll be at our church the Wednesday after that. A few other announcements. Let me remind you of our Extreme Build mission trip this summer. Uh, we're going to be going uh, to McCreary County, on June the 10th through the 16th, and we're going to be joining volunteers from all over Kentucky, um, probably a hundred or more volunteers, and we're going to build a house in one week. We're going to start that, that uh, Monday with a foundation, and by Saturday we're going to be handing the keys over to the new owner. So that'll be a wonderful opportunity to be a part of that. And we invite anyone here to, to join us for that. There's a uh, sign-up sheet back on the bulletin board. And so if you haven't signed up, please go ahead and do so. We'll be uh, making arrangements for lodging pretty soon with that. 
Uh, we're going to be playing volleyball here tonight at 6 o'clock, so we invite you to come and share that, that time of uh, exercise and fun. And you don't have to be good, you know. You know take it from me, you know. I've, I've ended up sprawled out on the floor down here a couple of times, but it's a lot of fun. And so, um, so come and, and be a part of that. And also our Wednesday program. We, we're trying to build up our Wednesday program again. We have some great things happening on Wednesday nights. Uh, we have our, our adult choir and our children's choir that meet at 515. Uh, then we have our, our dinner at 545. Uh, our adult Bible study and, and children's and youth activities at 630. And this week's adult Bible study will be six, six steps to successful prayer. We've been doing a a series on prayer, and this week it'll be six steps to a successful prayer. And so I hope that you'll come and, and join us for that. Greg, I believe you have something that you would like to say before we dismiss. Good morning. I didn't plan on being a walking billboard today, but I'm headed to Holy Name School for a Latino festival uh, after church today to um, actually promote Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And as you know, there are some incredible ministries in this church that we are involved with. I want to tell you just briefly a little bit about Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and some of the people here at Community Baptist that are working in this organization. Molly Hobbs, for example, invests about 20 hours a week with Big Brothers, Big Sisters as a volunteer. We have made to date about 33 matches. That means introducing a big to a little in our community. And Molly has been very, very instrumental in making that happen. We couldn't have done it without him. Thank you, Molly. We have a lot of other folks that are actually bigs in our congregation. Lana Hopgood has been uh, matched with Dakota, uh, who suffers from social anxiety, among some other things. And she is doing an incredible job with him. He dressed up for Lana this week and wore a shirt and tie to school just to meet with Lana. <laughs> Rachel Hobson has been matched. Jika Crafton will be matched, as well as other people in, in our church family will be. If you have a desire, if you feel called to work with children, I would love to talk to you. It's an incredible ministry. We're, we're doing some incredible work here in Henderson. You may have seen in the press that we're having an event this next Saturday called Bowl for Kids' Sake. There are some people in the church that are involved with that also. Mary Rye has put together a bowling team. Jika has put together a bowling team. Some other folks have, too. If you would like to support us with making some more matches, we have 60 children on a waiting list waiting for a big brother or a big sister. We would love to have you help us. So see them, see me, or just come out and join us for a huge party at Echo Lanes this next Saturday from 9 a.m. until 7 p.m., we hope to have about 700 people bowling this next Saturday to raise money. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Let's bow for our benediction. <clears throat> we have come today and observed the symbolic cleansing of these who have stirred the waters of baptism today. And we have come to realize our own need for the cleansing of our hearts. We have come praying for your forgiveness, O oh God and turning away from our wickedness and unto you. You, O oh God, are merciful beyond measure. You welcome us back into your waiting arms as the Father welcomes his prodigal son. Thank you. 
And now as we go from here in the joy of our salvation, we go knowing that you are with us and you continually guide us. And so let us go and be like a spring of cool water, refreshing to others. For God goes with us. Amen.